generations to come. Welcome to another edition of the TDN Writers Room. My name is Bill Finley. I'm a correspondent for the TDN. I also cover horse racing on Sirius XM Radio along with Dave Johnson. I said y'all last week. I'll say you guys this week. Hey, you guys. I'm Randy Moss with uh, NBC Sports and the Buyer Speed Figures. Ready to roll? Greetings. I'm Zoe Cabman with First Racing and XBTV, and I am looking forward to getting down in the warmth and the sunshine of South Florida in just a couple of days, along with Randy. Oh, you think you are? Oh, I'm in Minnesota. Nobody invited me. Guys, uh, you can come. You're just going to wait a speedo. Okay, I'm a little, I'm a little bit hurt, but anyways, all right. So it's long way to go to the Kentucky Derby, but whenever there's developments that are Derby related with the three year olds, we always pay a lot of attention to them, even though it's only January. So there was a Kentucky Derby prep on Saturday at the fairgrounds, the LeCompte. Track Phantom beat Nash, who was a horse that uh, got such a lot of hype early on in his career and really hasn't lived up to it. Track Phantom got a 90 buyer figure. He looks like he's a pretty good horse, and we'll be hearing more from him. I'm sure he'll follow that road uh, to the Risen Star and then likely to the Louisiana Derby. I'll start with you, Zoe. What did you think of Track Phantom? I mean, he was good. We'll get to Randy in a little bit because he wasn't the fastest horse of the day at uh, the fairgrounds, but he's three for three around two turns. And one thing that Steve Asmussen, his trainer, does so, so well is develop horses. He talks about loving the fairgrounds three-year-old program moving forward that almost got him the Derby last year with Epicenter. You know, 74, 81, 88, 89, and a 90 by a speed figure. This is atypical Asmussen training. He's a guy who knows how to get horses right. He knows how to keep them right and keep them going. He is progressing in every single start. He was impressive. Rosario knows him well. He was in perfect rhythm with him the whole way through. And he looks like he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. Is he the best three-year-old in Asmussen's barn? I don't think so, but he's certainly a damn good one. Yeah, and th this win was accomplished as we expected it to be in completely different fashion from his win earlier in the meeting in the Gunrunner Stakes. In that race, he was pushed through very hot fractions by a horse named Next Level uh, and survived and kicked on through the stretch and managed to win anyway. For, uh, for the Lecomte, Next Level was a scratch. So really, he figured to set an uncontested pace, a pretty comfortable pace, which he did. The only real question mark was the one that Bill alluded to, which Nash would we see? Would we see the Nash that won so impressively at Churchill Downs in wire-to-wire -wire fashion with a big buyer speed figure of 97? Or would we see the Nash that was well beaten by Track Phantom in the Gunrunner? Now, they rode Nash fairly aggressively out of the gate. Uh, he was side-by-side side with Track Phantom, but he just didn't have enough early speed to stick with Track Phantom. Nash had a great trip. Uh, they they asked him the question at about the 5-16th pole aggressively. He couldn't gain an inch on Track Phantom. Track Phantom closed his last quarter after a fairly soft pace in about 24-4. and four. Uh, Looked pretty good doing it, and he's obviously on the short list of leading contenders for the Kentucky Derby. But as Zoe said, is he the best horse, even in Steve Asmussen's barn? Uh, Bill, I don't think he is. Well, uh, we'll find out down the road. 
the he got a 90 buyer number and he was not the fastest three year old of the week of the weekend. There were two others that ran 94s and two horses that we really got to keep an eye on. Now, it's hard to break your maiden in January, late January and win the Kentucky Derby. But these were horses that were really ran exceptional races. The first one is Hall of Fame at the fairground, fifth at the fairgrounds, a $1.4 million gun runner. It was his second lifetime start. He won by 10 and a quarter. He gets a 94 buyer. And then out at Santa Anita, May Mun, a Amir Zidane, Bob Baffert a combination, a $900,000 horse by Frosted. He wins by seven and a half lengths and also gets a 94. Randy, uh, was one of these better than the other? Are they, is it, uh, too, is it too late for them to merge as, as uh, better, uh, among the better Triple Crown candidates? What's your thoughts? Uh, no, I mean, I think what we've seen in recent years is that horses can make their debuts in February, like uh, like Justify, much less uh, January. So I really like the way Hall of Fame looked. Um, Joel Rosario rode him. Uh, he was very aggressive early in the race because there were horses crowded to his outside and Joel wanted to maintain inside position into the first turn. And the pace got just a little bit out of hand. They went 46 and change. He was right on the inside of the pace setter, went on with it down the back stretch. A very fast pace by fairground standards, even for stakes company, right? Especially for maiden special weight company. And yet he kicked on at the top of the stretch, drew off, and won by 10 lengths with that 94 buyer speed figure. I think, my opinion, he is definitely a better horse than Track Phantom, who, of course, got a 90, as you mentioned later, in the Lacan. A couple of interesting things to note about Hall of Fame. Uh, he is the rare, maybe so far the unique, uh, horse trained by Steve Asmussen to be owned by Coolmore. Now, Coolmore has shown an attachment to gun runners. They paid a lot of money for some gun runners. They have Sierra Leone with Chad Brown who is a gun runner. Uh, maybe they chose Asmussen because out of all the trainers out there, Steve obviously has had the most success with gun runners through his connection with Winchell. There's also a new owner in the Coolmore partnership. They're always looking for new blood, new money, like George Von Opel of Westerberg. Now you add in a guy named Kuldeep Singh Rajput from Singapore, who is just getting into the horse business in Singapore and Australia. This is the first horse I could find that he is a owner of in the United States. He's joined forces with the Coolmore people in the purchase of this horse. And I think it's an exciting horse down the road. And they're pointing to the risen star for this horse. So Asmussen apparently has no qualms about uh, running track phantom against Hall of Fame and not trying to separate the two to keep them both at the fairgrounds. All right, Zoe, why don't you tell us more about Maimon, who ran out your way at the Great Race Place? Well, the first time I saw Maimum was at the Ocala two-year-old sale last year. Jesse Longoria sold him. He basically broke the track record breezing. He worked in nine and three, which is now the new standard down at OBS, which is absolutely insane. And he did it nicely. I can remember going to see him. Now, he was only a $50,000 yearling who blossomed into a $900,000 two-year-old. So congrats to Jesse Longoria, who conditioned him, did such a good job getting him sold. Um, and he was as advertised for Bob Baffert. Now, the track was a little bit wet. I'm not sure what the actual listing was. It was probably fast, but we did get some rain 
on Saturday. So he was splitting through a little bit of mud there when he just absolutely galloped to the front. 21 and change, 43 and change and drew off to win as he pleased. He's a very good horse. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Bob Baffert, Nama Zedan and Churchill Downs a little bit later. But it doesn't look like Churchill is giving up anytime soon with regards to banning Baffert. So we'll have to see where Mayhem does go. I still feel they're all going to stay in Bob's barn. But there's no question that he is a very good horse. Who did he beat? Again, you can only beat who you run against. But he did look like the real deal with Son of Frosted. 94 again, like you said. Do want to remind you once more that the TDN Writers Room is brought to you by Keeneland. The 2024 Horses of Racing Age sale will be held on Friday, April the 26th, following the conclusion of the April Spring Meet. Spring already. Feels great. And speaking of the spring meet, tickets go on sale February the 20th for the Keeneland April meeting, which runs from April the 5th to the 26th. We'll be right back after this message from Keeneland. Keeneland, a horse will always be measured in hands. Hands that see, that sense, that speak. Hands that hold our sport to a higher standard. Not for our sake, but for theirs. For the love of the horse, for generations to come. The TD and Riders Room also brought to you by the Fast Sires at Windstar Farm, the sponsor every week of our Fastest Horse of the Week segment. We have a nice little segue here. This week, the sire we're going to talk about happens to be Always Dreaming, two-time derby winner, Florida Derby and Kentucky Derby. He won the Florida Derby by five lengths, if you recall, in the fastest time of the race since Aladar had won it in 1978, Always Dreaming. Ran that nine furlongs in 147.47, less than three quarters of a second off of Arrogate's track record. And then, of course, he went on to Kentucky, son of the underrated Bodie Meister. He wins the Kentucky Derby as the nine to two favorite over Irish War Cry and McCracken and Classic Empire. He won it by over two and three quarters lengths with Johnny Velasquez. He stands at stud at Windstar Farm for $5,000. And his best son, Happens to be our fastest horse of the week, Saudi Crown, the Pennsylvania Derby winner who came back in the Louisiana Stakes at the fairgrounds on the LeCompte undercard. His prep for the Saudi Cup, his next start penciled in as he is owned by Saudi Arabian owner. Saudi Crown went wire to wire in the Louisiana Stakes for a buyer's speed figure of 105, just a titch below his lifetime best of 106. Saudi Crown, son of always dreaming, those are, that is our fastest horse of the week and our spotlight sire. All right. Well, it was a quiet news week until all of a sudden it wasn't. Um, two major stories dropped within the last 48 hours. And the first one we'll get to is uh, an announcement from Bob Baffert and Amir Zedan. They are dropping the remaining cases against Churchill Downs Incorporated related to the disqualification of Medina Spirit in the Kentucky Derby. Um, you know, I sure this just didn't happen out of the blue. Um, so, you know, what is behind it? And not only they put out a, um, the statement they put out could not have been, um, you know, not only was there no bitterness or anger, it was, uh, you know, just 
filled with with lo- love for Churchill Downs and you know uh, everybody is isn't everybody great and yada 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 yada. Um, it looks to me like this is an olive branch from Bafford and Zidane because I think they knew whether they were told directly by Churchill or whether they just figured out they were not going to let Baffert back into the Kentucky Derby with this lawsuit hanging out, out there until it was adjudicated. But then um, no sooner had the, this announcement came out than Churchill made a statement saying this changes nothing for 2024. Uh, he's, this horse is still have to be out of his barn by January 29th. He's still banned for the uh, Kentucky Derby uh, himself. Um, but I, you know, maybe this is about 2025. I, I just don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think Baffert and Zidane woke up one morning and say, Hey, you know what? Let's make nice with Churchill Downs. Um, so my guess is Bob Baffert will be reinstated for the 2025 Kentucky Derby. I'm not guessing over that. I, d- I don't think we can guess about that. Um, I'm glad. I mean, it's over. It needs to be over. I wish it had happened sooner and we'll just have to wait and hear what happens. Hopefully this is the last time we'll have to talk about yeah. it, right? I mean, they, yeah. they certainly wound through the court system enough. I made a mistake last week uh, when I pointed out that I thought there were hard feelings from Churchill Downs Incorporated about the lawsuits and and all the legal fees that Churchill Downs had had to pay. And I, and I thought that they felt that the continued lawsuits were an indication that uh, Zidane and Baffert weren't taking enough responsibility. I still believe that. The lawsuit that was pending by Zidane and Baffert, I I think I indicated it was against Churchill Downs Incorporated. It was actually an appeal against the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission and not CDI. So I want to get that out of the way. Um, The last time we have to talk about it, I, I think everybody came to the realization, right, that, look, Certain things that people within horse racing, trainers, owners within horse racing, I think sort of accept. Number one, 21 picograms per milliliter of blood, 21 trillionths of a gram could have absolutely no impact on the way Medina Spirit ran. Number two, it was unintentional. It was not an attempt by Bob Baffert to circumvent the rules and gain some sort of advantage. Number three, it was most likely an ointment for a skin rash and not an injection of beta-methasone. And number four, the KHRC rules were intended to prevent the injection of beta-methasone. I'm not sure the KHRC even realized when they wrote the rules that there was actually an ointment with beta-methasone. But in the end, knowing all of this, the judges declared that it didn't make any difference, that trace constitutes positive was the rule, beta-methasone was in the horse's system, ergo, the horse must be disqualified. So that was the bottom line through numerous appeals. I, I really don't think it would have changed regardless of a venue, even if they had gotten it out of Kentucky. So I'm glad we've got all that behind us now. And Bill, I agree with you. I think it was a surprise that CDI, to me, extended it to 2024. And I'll be shocked uh, if they extend it uh, to 2025. Yeah, that would be surprising. Uh, we'll see what happens now. But I, I think sometime after the Derby this year, we will get an announcement from Churchill that welcoming Bob Baffert back. Maybe not exactly with open arms, but that he can race there again. So how about this? Finally, finally, something out of the Saudi Cup about maximum security. Only took him four years, 
to figure out what they were going to do. But uh, we're uh, recording this on uh, Tuesday. And th just this morning, we got a press release from the uh, uh, Saudi Arabian Jockey Club. And uh, basically, they haven't officially disqualified maximum security or sanctioned Jason service just yet. They said they're now sending the case to what they call a stewards committee. Um, but basically, 90 percent of the press release was about all the things that uh, that service did and maximum security and about all the drugging and everything like that. So, I, I mean, the, the stewards committee is not going to say, oh, never mind. Uh, we're going to let this result stand. It's always been seemed a little bit strange to me that you could suspend a, or disqualify a horse over a drug issue when they did not test positive before or after the race. But obviously, the Saudi Arabians play by a different set of rules. And, um, you know, with a different uh, judicial system, um, I don't think there was a whole lot anybody on the um, side of maximum security uh, could do about it. But just like you guys said about Baffert and Churchill Downs, I guess this isn't technically over until we hear from this, this so-called stewards committee. But, you know, we know exactly what they're going to do. Um, but I guess like just like the uh, the Baffert thing, thank goodness this is finally getting to be resolved. And, and I'll never understand why it took them four years to figure this out. Now, the stewards committee may take another four years. We don't we don't know how right. that works over there in Saudi Arabia, right? We complain over here about how slow the wheels of justice can turn for positive tests for Baffert and for Todd Pletcher, et cetera. It's nothing like the, the four years over there. Even Gary and Mary West, the owners of Maximum Security, at one point were just like, come on. I mean, one way or the other, just get this over with. Let's have some closure yeah. on this. So we'll see if we actually get it soon, Zoe. Uh, Merry Christmas, Jeff Bloom. I mean, you go from a 3.5 million payday to a $10 million payday. I hate to say it, Luis Saez, I hope you saved some of that money from your payday because it looks like he's going to have to give it back. So yeah. we'll, we'll have to see. But yeah, it's, it's got to be a good day for Jeff Bloom. And Midnight hey. Bizou, who is uh, in the, yes. the broodmare barn right now. Absolutely. Randy Tom Hammond got an, uh, announced and announced this week that he's getting a special Eclipse Award. Very well deserved for somebody who's a real pro and has been a great racing broadcaster. And I'll just bring you in on the conversation. Uh, I know you've worked closely with Tom over the years. I'm sure you have uh, a lot of nice things to say about him and uh, are, are very happy to him. What was your thought when Tom Hammond got this award? Oh, absolutely uh, deserved. I mean, Tom got his first break with NBC Sports in the very first Breeders' Cup, the 1984 Breeders' Cup. And and one of the ways that, besides the fact that he's, you know, a Hall of Fame level broadcaster, one of the ways that he ingratiated himself to the producers back in 1984, he pushed hard uh, for an interview uh, before the Breeders' Cup Classic with Bill Allen, the owner of Wild Again. And at first, the producers and it was actually Pete Axtelm, who was part of the telecast, said, no, 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 no. We don't. That horse has no chance. We don't need to talk to that guy. It's a waste of time. Uh, you know, let's focus our efforts on horses that actually have a chance. And Tom stuck up for himself and said, no, look, they're putting up a $600,000 supplemental fee for a horse that's going to be 30 to 1. This is a question that has to be asked. And so the producer sided with Tom and said, OK, you talk to Bill Allen. And lo and behold, Bill Allen said, not only are we putting up the money, we think he's going to win and we're betting on him. <laughs> and, it, and it became one of the big stories of the entire 1984 telecast. And of course, we know what happened after that. Uh, Tom went on to be 
uh, you know, the voice of Notre Dame football, call NFL playoff games, uh, call NBA games, one of the top broadcasters in America. And one of the big things about Tom and horse racing is that as a native Kentuckian, he knew so much about all these other sports and Olympics as well. He was the voice of many top Olympics uh, games, uh, but he knew more about horse racing as a Kentuckian than he even did about all those other sports. One more quick story. Uh, my first derby with Tom on the set was in 2012 for I'll Have Another. And you get this, as I think I explained in the press release, you get this jolt of adrenaline uh, when Tom slides into the host seat and you hear that voice. It's like, oh, all right. Now, now we're in the big time. But the race was run and Tom had this old legal notepad where he had all his handwritten notes, right? Jack Whitaker was the same way when I worked with Jack Whitaker back in the day. Old school, handwritten notes. And I'll have another crosses the finish line and wins it. And there's probably six or eight or ten key points that I've got in my mind that need to be mentioned about I'll have another. And no sooner do they cross the finish line, Tom's got his nose right up on the, on the TV monitor, not looking at his notes. I'm watching Tom. Boom, boom, boom. Boom. Comes out with every one of those key points mm -hmm. perfectly, absolutely concisely encapsulated everything that needed to be said about the horse. And I'm like, what am I going to talk about? I'm, I'm watching Tom and I'm like, holy crap. That that is impressive. And that's just a glimpse of, uh, of, of what I came to expect and what Tom brought to the table as the host of the Derby and the Breeders' Cup and all those other big races. It's just like me when I follow Randy. I'm like, okay, well, there's one. I'll mark that one off. Let me mark that one off. Oh, and down the rabbit hole, I'll mark that one off. Okay, yeah, well, what he said will be great. Thank you very much. <laughs> the TD and Writers Room brought to you by the PHBA. If you've been living behind a rock, that's the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association, and it could be a big Pegasus weekend for Pennsylvania breads. First of all, guess who got into the – uh, the uh, Pegasus World Cup and drew post position number one, a big advantage. Nimitz Class, Pennsylvania bred, new ownership. Also in the Pegasus World Cup turf, I'm very busy. Chad Brown tackles that one. So two big chances in Pegasus races coming up this Saturday. Meanwhile, a $200 fee for Folds of 2022 for this year's PA Sire PA Bread Stallion Series is due January 31st. If you miss that deadline again, the fee will go up to $500. If you're interested in breeding in Pennsylvania, check out the 2024 Stallion Breeding Stallion and Boarding Farm directory. It's available at the PHBA website. That would be www.pabread.com. PA Bread, I think we've built a, a brand at this point. The state of Pennsylvania has the best breeders program in the entire United States. Angel of Empire wins the Arkansas Derby and wins it clear. Caravelle in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. Pennsylvania and the PHBA have the best state-bred program in the country, bar none. The best Breeders' Awards and Stallion Awards in the country. The rumbling started early and only intensified. With performances that sent shockwaves across the nation.
at the center of it all? Epicenter is at the top of the three-year-old class in the Run Happy Travers. Epicenter, three-year-old champion by Not This Time. Cool More America, home of champions. Well, two years ago this week, the connections of Epicenter were getting ready to accept the award for the Eclipse Award as champion three-year-old. In 2022, Epicenter won the Risen Star, the Louisiana Derby, the Jim Dandy, the Grade 1 Traverse Stakes, and he finished second in the Derby in the Preakness. Randy, what are your thoughts on Epicenter? He he ran the highest buyer speed figure of any horse of his generation, ran a 112 buyer speed figure uh, subsequent to the Triple Crown. He was obviously a top-class racehorse, trained by Steve Asmussen, owned by Ron Winchell. And when Asmussen you know, says he's never won the Kentucky Derby, he knows what it's feels like to win the Kentucky Derby because he thought he was going to win the Kentucky Derby with Epicenter as the horses were charging down the stretch. And all of a sudden, this horse comes bursting up the inside. And Steve's like, who is that? Rich Strike. He's like, who? Anyway, Epicenter would have been a Kentucky Derby winner in most years. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Sons of Epicenter uh, run on the racetracks at a racetrack near you soon. Epicenter's first falls are arriving now. The best son of not this time, he stands at Coolmore for a fee of $40,000. Meanwhile, as always, the TD and Riders Room is brought to you by The Green Group, a tax accounting and advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry and specifically designed to save you money on your taxes. And we welcome in now this week's Green Group Guest of the Week. It's Michael Ivarone, who is poised to have a huge day at the Pegasus World Cup. Several horses in, including Masterpiece in the Pegasus World Cup turf and O'Connor in the Pegasus World Cup. Michael, welcome back. Uh, we haven't talked to you in a long time, and that's because in about 2013, IEH Stables, which you ran, Big Brown, et cetera, very successful. Um, the plug was pulled on that. And you came back around 2017. So two-part question, where were you in the meantime and what brought you back to racing? Yeah, so when I left in 2013, you know, obviously I, I ran a syndicate at the time and uh, we were unwinding the syndicate. And I wanted to essentially come back. I just didn't know when, but I wanted to come back not as a syndicate. I wanted to come back kind of with only my own money, just have a couple partners, very much low-key more for the entertainment than a business side of it. So I had to wait for the right time. And I uh, went back into the securities industry for, you know, an extended period of time. And I felt in 2017, I talked over with my wife and we felt it was a, it was a good re-entry point. So that's when we, uh, we dipped the toe in per se. All right, Michael. So congratulations on your, uh, your resurgence in the sport. I got to ask you this because it's one of the first questions that people ask when they see, the Michael Ivarone of, of 2023 and 2024. I don't know. I don't remember the exact date. It was a Pegasus World Cup. We were doing it on NBC. And our set is right next to the paddock walkway where the horses come onto the racetrack. And we're about a half hour before air killing time. And I look up the paddock walkway and I see a guy coming down the paddock walkway. It's got kind of like a white Elvis jumpsuit, low cut chains, medallions, big sunglasses, a uh, scantily clad woman on each arm walking you down. You make me sound like honeymoon in Vegas when I came down on a parachute. <laughs> <laughs> you don't see this very often at the stuffy American racetracks, right? So I, Jerry, I called Jerry Bailey. I said, come over here. Come over here. You got to see this. So we look up paddock walkway and he says, wow. He said, who is that? And I said, I, 
I think it's Ivorone. And Jerry said, no, no, no. And you got a little bit closer and you look up at us and say, Randy, Jerry, the Michael Ivorone that we were all accustomed to seeing, and I don't think I'd seen you since Big Brown, uh, you know, Court Vision, I Want Revenge, was the sort of the financial guy, right? In the Giorgio Armani custom suits, very well-dressed. What What is the difference? You're, you look like you're having so much fun between the Michael Ivorone that we see now and the Michael Ivorone that we saw back then. Well, let's start here. I, the last part of your question said the well-dressed in the Armani outfit. I kind of see it better now, but it's difference of opinion, right? No, I, I, I'll tell you what the real story was. So when I ran the syndicate, uh, I was enmeshed in a lot of Wall Street investors. And I don't know where it all came from, but somehow this Armani or this you know plaid suit had always been a part of Wall Street and how you're supposed to look and how you're supposed to act and how you're supposed to behave. And I'm not really quite sure where that all came from. And I look now and I look at some of the most successful people in the world. And, you know, you look at Mark Zuckerberg, who probably doesn't even own a suit. You look at Elon Musk and, and how they have changed and how times have changed. And I just don't think there's a mold anymore. And, you know, when I met my wife, uh, she was she's very much in the fashion. So I first tried on something that I thought was kind of outrageous and ridiculous and, uh, you know, I, I was against wearing it out. I wore it out. I got, you know, compliments. Some people looked at me like I was crazy, but I started to grow more comfortable with it. And, and I, I felt like I could express myself at an older age when, for whatever reason, as a younger age, I felt like I needed to be molded. And it's just something I'm comfortable in my skin. And, and I feel like it's fun. And, and I know some people it just, they don't like it. Some people, they love it. And, you know, the good news is I don't have to answer to anybody anymore. That's the best part of not being part of a syndicate. So I can kind of do it my way. And uh, I feel like the way I dress now and go to the racetrack, it's, it's all about fun. And I can assure you that 99.9% .9 of the time, I look like I'm a bum coming out of the gym, not dressed like that. <laughs> Are you having as much fun as it looks like you're having? I think I'm having way more fun, way more fun. You know, right now... Um, life is, is, is in a great place for me. You know, my kids, they're grown up now. They all have, you know, amazing jobs. Uh, they live in New York city. I got a place down here. So we, we bounce around between New York and Florida and Puerto Rico. And, um, when I get to the racetrack now, it's, it's just, just pure fun. I, we know we move in groups. I have, uh, some new terrific friends. And, uh, for us, it's just about, having the best time we possibly can. And, you know, some people love it. Some people hate it. But at the end of the day, it's as long as we're having fun, I, I don't have to answer anybody else. Mike, I absolutely applaud it. I really do. Now, if we could just get like Randy and Bill to just un <laughs> unzip just a little bit like you are right That's, now. It's not that, quite the same. And take it off. Take it off. Take, take it off. And what I really want you to do is find something in your closet to dress Randy in this weekend for the Pegasus, because I think he needs an upgrade in his suits for NBC. Do you have something for him? I think the issue is if I put Randy in my clothes, I'm, I'm finished because he's just going to rock it. I know it. He's going to own it. And then I'm kind of stuck, you know? whole world's going to be seeing him in my clothes now. And not only that, I can't, my wife will never let me wear the same outfit twice. <laughs> oh, all kidding aside, though, 
People have like this idea that you're this massive playboy with all these girlfriends, but you're, you and your wife, Jules, are very much together. Can you just explain the family dynamic between you two and your kids for people that well, may I, think that you're some playboy with 1,700 girlfriends or something? Yeah, no. Uh, my wife and I spend pretty much every minute of every day together, work life, regular life, uh, social life. We are never apart. We travel together. We live together. Um, she's number one on a pedestal. Uh, she's way up there. And I'm fortunate just to be around her. But as far as our friends are concerned, she mm -hmm. she loves having pretty people, sweet people. And she is very much a girl's girl. So when we have these events, she wants the girls to be glammed up and she wants them to feel the best they possibly can feel about themselves. And um, there's no other girlfriends. There's no other, you know, there's no playboys here. There's no weird stuff that should be on playboy. Channel. It's, uh, it's just, it's just, she loves to surround herself with beautiful people. It's just, it's just, she loves when people feel good. And, um, you know, if I hold hands with another girl, you know, we're friends, that's it. It's, it's nothing weird. It's just, um, it's us being social and just being fun. And, how everybody else perceives it, that's that's kind of up to them in their imagination. But um, unfortunately, break their hearts. It's, it's, it's imagination. <laughs> so how about this? Let's stop talking about clothes and start talking about racehorses. OK, because that is the main reason, of course, we wanted Michael on today. Um, Michael, you not only have you come back, uh, especially in the last year or two, You've come back at the highest level now. Um, like I said, you have a, a bunch of horses in on the card. Where are you acquiring these horses? Who's giving you advice? And uh, what is sort of the overall game plan for Ivorone Stables? So uh, I'm using the same playbook I, I kind of used when I ran IEH. And I'm trying to focus on horses that have run. Um, I'm trying to... Buy horses for events, if that even makes sense, right? So, so the Pegasus is like a big deal. We live down here now. We, we bought a house right on Palmetto's estate. So I, the training facility is right next door. So I have a, you know, a bunch of horses training. But what I'll do is I'll say, you know, the Pegasus, we're having 40 friends fly in. It's a big deal. It's a big event. I'll, I'll look in advance and I'll say, okay, which races are run on Pegasus Day? And, I, and I'll try to find horses for those specific races. And I'll only look at horses that are proven. So I have a handful of agents that I'm working with. Um, I don't want to reveal names because they get jealous about each other, but I'm using, you know, probably seven or eight different guys. They're always bringing me opportunity. And if, if, if I buy them, I'm usually buying them for a particular spot or a particular race or a particular event. And that's really what I'm doing. This is purely fun for me. This is, you know, I'm very much heavily back in Wall Street. Um, you know, I'm, I'm managing a very large fund right now, uh, significant dollars. It does take up most of my time. So the horses are now just my social thing. I'm doing it for fun, so I'm buying them for events. And if I get lucky enough and, and get a superstar for the Derby again, that would be the best thing that could ever happen. But it, it's really, for me, it's, it's event to event. Just enjoy it socially, have fun, um, ruffle a few feathers, you know, the basic stuff. <laughs> And you don't care if you ruffle any feathers or not. That's 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 very obvious, and it's it's kind of refreshing. What one big difference? Uh, you've already mentioned that you have nobody to answer to. Now, back when you had IEAH, you had all these investors that had maybe different agendas and things like that. Uh, how much did you want to get away? 
from that particular model when you got back into the thoroughbred business? Well, picture this. It's the morning of the Kentucky Derby. Um, you have 125 members of our investment group at Churchill Downs or at the hotel in which you're staying. You wake up at six o'clock in the morning. You get a, a phone call from your agent telling you that your horse is being scratched from the Kentucky Derby that morning. Now, keep in mind, we had just won the Kentucky Derby the year before. Whoever gets to even run in the Kentucky Derby, let alone win the Kentucky Derby, let alone have a chance to run the following year. And I can tell you that having a conversation with 125 or 150 people that day was so incredibly difficult that it at, at no moment did I get a chance for me to even accept or even understand myself what just happened. And... It felt like the worst thing in the world for them. And it was one of the worst things in the world for me to have to tell them why we're being scratched. And from that moment forward, it kind of sucked the life out of me because nobody cared or asked me the question, why did the horse scratch? Is the horse okay? It was more of a question of what does that mean to us financially? What does it mean to my investment? What does it mean to my money? And I would say to them, I can't control it. I'm not going to put a racehorse on the racetrack that has the opportunity or possibility remotely of breaking down. Nobody really cared about that. And at that point forward, it was that made it very difficult for me. That was the moment where I said to myself, I'm very knee deep in this thing, but I need to somehow find my way out of this because at the end, this is not what I want. I don't want to have to sit there and answer to people why a horse is being scratched for his own safety in comparison to the cost of that horse or what their investment would have been worth before or after. That was a, that was a changing point for me. And for people who don't remember that, that was, I want revenge you're talking about who would have been the favorite in what became mind that birds, a huge upset win in 2009. Exactly. So you get out of the game. What did you do in the interim between then and now, what has Michael Iverone been up to? Well, crazy story. The the money manager that um, had been a very integral part of IEH um, was arrested for running a, basically a Ponzi scheme in which I had significant dollars invested in that scheme, which I thought he was managing my money. So I had given him a, a majority of my personal assets and... Uh, one day I got a phone call basically saying they were gone. They, you know, I was pretty much at ground zero and all the hard work and everything I did, um, you know, in the investment world to put myself in a good financial position was basically pulled out from underneath me. So I was basically, Jules and I were eating baked potatoes for six months. Um, that's if we could afford a baked potato, we're eating baked potatoes. That's how bad it was. Uh, so then I had to regroup. I had to go back and, take the series seven exam and, and go back to what I always knew and go back to my roots and rebuild a, a business, uh, in the securities world. And, uh, you know, it was difficult, but God willing, it took me a couple of years and, uh, I got caught a couple of really good breaks with a couple of really good deals and I ended up better than I ever was. So everything is meant to be. It, um, it obviously was, uh, something that I think back and I said, I needed to get myself out of the syndicate, which that happened. Um, the money that was taken from me, water under the bridge, it just made me stronger. I went back, I built a better business and that's the difference. And I had to, I couldn't have bought a racehorse if I wanted to until 
I rebuilt myself. So that was, that was what was basically filling that gap. That's what I was doing was putting myself back together. Michael, um, in the Pegasus uh, Turf Masterpiece, the official trainer is listed as Sidney Dutrow. Uh, I understand that's because Rick just didn't have time to get all his I's dotted and T's crossed to get his Florida license. But you, you guys together with IEH, and it's not just Big Brown, you had so many good horses, um, enjoyed so much success. What is your current relationship with Rick? And will he once again become your main trainer? My relationship with Rick has always been good. I mean, I never had an issue with Rick. Um, you know, we had our disagreements back in, you know, 2008, 2009 over, uh, you know, certain things, which obviously, you know, the, a lot of information was put out about that. Um, it was pretty public. Um, but that was business. Rick and I personally have always gotten along uh, through the whole thing. I was heartbroken for the guy. I, you know, I thought his, his penalty was severe. I was so happy um, that he was reinstated and, you know, how the world works, just strange things. So, so going back to the, the spring, right after the Kentucky Derby, um, Safi had issues where they weren't allowed to run in different jurisdictions. So at the time, I knew I, I had to move Masterpiece and Mark Cornett, who trained uh, who owned White Barrio, he had to move him as well. So we talked about a few different trainers who we were going to send our horses to. And we both agreed that Rick was was probably at that time the best option because he did not have uh, a large amount of horses under his care. And we felt that these two particular horses would get extra special attention. And uh, we agreed to move them there. I had sent Rick a text right before we did it. I said, what do you think of these two horses? He says, are, are they for sale? I said, actually, no, we're going to send them to you to train. And he called me in 30 seconds. He about had a heart attack. He was over the moon. And, uh, of course, White Barrio has gone on to do incredible things. And uh, hopefully Masterpiece can, can tag along and, and, and win a race up and try and win so desperately. So I have a two-pronged two question for you. You mentioned that uh, you reside in South Florida. You've got great fondness for the Pegasus and the undercard races for the Pegasus World Cup. You buy horses specifically to target those races. How frustrating has it been that so far you've had more success elsewhere than you have had on Pegasus Day? And what kind of chances do you think you have of turning that around this year? I have. I, when we say elsewhere, I have more success elsewhere than on Pegasus Day, I haven't had an inkling an inkling of success on Pegasus Day in any race. I, I, I don't know what the numbers are, but I've been running in Pegasus races. I've never won a Pegasus race. I've run in the Pegasus race every year, um, whether it's a dirt or the turf. Um, but I haven't even come close in those races. I have not won on the undercard. So I, I literally feel like it's, it's become an enigma for me. So now it's, 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 it's a battle right now just to even get a moment of excitement. I don't have to win. I just want to have my heart raised for a second. Um, I, I, I don't know the answer to – I know last year O'Connor, post position 12 is tough. I mean, it takes a super special horse to win from that post position as we know. And uh, – I feel like last year he was never engaged. The 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 turf race that O'Connor ran in last year, he had post eleven. He actually just there was a wall of horses. There was just nowhere for him to run. But I do feel like this year, I feel like the, the difference is these horses are coming into their races off of wins, and I feel like they're coming in with momentum. Where last year, I, 
you know, in the Harlan's Holiday, O'Connor ran a decent fourth, but nothing to write home about. I, I wasn't even sure he was going to get invited. He was in the second group of invites. And Masterpiece was coming off of a pretty significant layoff. And it was um, the first time running for Safi. So I, I just wasn't sure um, last year that we were coming in the best way we can. This year, I, I know the horses are doing the best they've been. How that stacks up to the horses they're running against, I can't answer that. But I know that the horses are, are both set to run huge races. I just don't know how that compares to other horses if they run huge races. You run nine horses on Pegasus Day. Nine. You talked about O'Connor. Who, in your opinion, other than the three big stakes races, is your likeliest winner? Who are we pinning our hopes on? So, actually, we, we entered nine. Only, f I'd say, I went up on three also eligibles. And, and one, we switched to the stake on Sunday. So, we're actually running now four Unless the also eligible, unless we draw in from the also eligibles in those other three races, so we're running four. So we're running uh, in the Hooper with Steel Sunshine. He is a really, really nice horse. He he kind of ran in spots um, in the in the Harlan's Holiday. I guess we got a, a cat here coming to visit us. Um, <laughs> so he ran a he ran a very good fourth, only beaten you know less than two lengths in that race. Uh, Two turns is not his his game, so I think a one turn mile hits him right between the eyes. But I was super surprised to see Baffert is sending over his horse for a hundred fifty thousand dollar Grade Three that had run second in the Grade One Malibu. So obviously that horse is going to be heavily bet. Obviously his horses are always fit. I think that's a tough spot. Um, I think if I was to choose which horse I think I have the best shot in, I really believe it's Masterpiece. Um, the conversation I had with Rick and, you know, obviously fingers crossed, uh, he said he is five lengths better than he was before he ran in the, ran in the red Smith and he won that race. And he said, he's just the happiest horse in his barn right now. And with good confidence, when Rick tells me how well a horse is doing, they usually run those kinds of races. And I, I think he offers us the best chance, um, O'Connor's got a great post. I think the race is going to set up nicely for him. I just think that with him, naturally, he has to get out of the gate well. He has to break somewhat with the field. He has to be within striking range. I think if there's a pace in front of him and he's within seven or eight lengths, he's got a good enough turn of foot where he can put himself in the right place. But, again, that's that's a very good field. There's good horses in that race. So um, I'm hoping. Cautiously optimistic that he's he's going to fire his best shot. I know Safi's very high on him right now. We were very high on him last year. He actually thought he was the best horse in the barn. He thought he was a better, more talented horse than Skippy. So um, I'm very, very cautiously optimistic. I just don't know. Um, it, is his best race as good as their best race? But I think Masterpiece, um, I think he's the horse that I'm, I'm banking on. Um, breaks this curse. <laughs> so before Bill, let, let me squeeze in one more style over substance question here. Do you, you and your wife have your Pegasus outfit already, already picked out and ready to roll? I feel like Elvis. I feel like I'm in Elvis mode again. I, I, I like it. I, I like it. I, I think I got this one. I, I feel good about this one. Yeah. Um, 
I had the private tailor come in and snug it up. And yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like you guys are going to like this one. I See, you were a fit Elvis. You weren't, you weren't just Elvis. You were, you were a, you were a fit Elvis. That's there, there's a big difference. The gym, the gym, is, the gym has become Without one of my passions. The gym has become one of my passions for sure. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think I, I feel good about this one. I, I think, um, Jules gave it a good look. Like, you know, she, she kind of was sitting there with her mouth open for a second. Like, wow. Okay. Okay. So that's a good, it's a good, you know, it's a good judge. If Jules likes it, I'm, I, I feel pretty confident it's going to work out well. You know, if you look over my right shoulder, Michael, you'll see my Burt Reynolds on my piano. I, I was yeah. wondering, I might need a Mike Iverone. <laughs> you know, do, do you think you could do that? You know, oh, we can absolutely. have it on display because Sue just loves the Burt Reynolds. She might prefer the Mike Iverone. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not resting until I have a Madame Tussauds somewhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> and not in a Giorgio Armani suit. Okay, it's going to be like a purple <laughs> one with the chains, no shirt. And, and by the way, by the way, um, the no shirt thing is, is kind of a cute little story. So there was, I put on a suit that was really, really super form fitting, and I put on a white dress shirt underneath it, and. The white dress shirt was not super form fitting. So I felt it looked, everything looked a little blousy, like nice tight suit, nice blousy shirt underneath it. So anyway, I said to Jules, I said, maybe I just don't wear a shirt. So she, she can't wear a suit without a shirt. I said, I can kind of do whatever I want now. I don't have an answer to. So anyway, I wear the shirt without the suit. I wear the suit without the shirt. Two weeks later, we're watching the UFC. Out comes Conor McGregor and he's wearing a suit without a shirt. And now all of a sudden, everybody's wearing suits without the shirt. So it's either me or Connor. So one or the other. <laughs> one of us started this thing. I'm betting it was me. I, I would bet on you as, as well, Mike. Okay, so perfect. as I've been ready to say before, you keep things interesting. You keep things fun. And sometimes we don't have nearly enough of that in horse racing. So thank you. Thank you for being our guest of the Green Group Guest of the Week. And best of luck on Pegasus Day, breaking that uh, offer that uh, yeah. you certainly are looking forward to uh, getting over Saturday at Gulfstream. Michael, thank you Ron, thanks so much. Any of you guys quickly in passing think we have a shot? You think we're alive in this race or what? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think Masterpiece is pr probably has the best shot of the two, but yeah. O'Connor's not without a shot either. So, yeah. All right, guys. If, if we win, if we win, party's going to be on. And if we <laughs> lose... If we lose, the party's going to be on. All right. I'm in. <laughs> so let's go. All right. All right, guys. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Guess what? The fun is not over for Michael Ivorone. As the Green Group Guest of the Week, Ivorone will now receive a free one-hour tax consultation from the Green Group and Lynn Green. Let's see how he's dressed for the tax consultation. For more information on how the Green Group can save you money on your taxes, go to www.greenco.com. Randy, you think he can write off those outfits uh, as a business expense? <laughs> That's a good question for Lynn Green. If it's possible, Lynn, only Lynn, Lynn will Green will know the answer to that. Yes. yes. I bet he can. Are you paying too much in taxes? The Green Group can help. There's a reason the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisors. They save you money and share successful strategies. Over the past 40 years, the Green Group founder, Len Green, has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport, like Eclipse Award-winning champions Jaywalk and Wonderwheel. 
His DJ stable competes at the highest level and has received the game's most prestigious honors. Len Green's in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the thoroughbred business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. In this week's edition of First Things First, I thought I would take a look back, guys, at the history of the Pegasus World Cup as we go back to 2017, the inaugural edition. And it was a featured matchup between the young upstart Arrogate and Kentucky Derby winner California Chrome, and it did not disappoint. Arrogate won by four and three quarter lengths, and California Chrome could only beat three home that day. Move on to 2018. We saw Gunrunner Swansong, a winning one, making his final start before a brilliant start at stud. 2019 was City of Light, fresh off his Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile victory. He went out a winner for trainer Michael McCarthy. In 2020, Mucho Gusto gave Hall of Famer Bob Baffert his second win in the Pegasus, with Mucho Gusto taking the honors. In 2021, Nixco showed his heels after his Breeders' Cup Classic romp. And in 2022, Life is Good was just great, getting the best of the 2021 victor, Nick's Go. And in 2023, it was the ill-fated art collector who had a big payoff of $30 for Hall of Famer Bill Mott, taking down his very first win in the Pegasus World Cup. Who will win in 2024? We'll have to wait and see. Come and join us at the Pegasus. Huge card out at Gulfstream on Saturday, as we know, be covered on NBC. Randy Moss will be behind the microphone uh, with his crew, Jerry Bailey, et cetera, telling us what's going on from beautiful Gulfstream Park. Um, not enough time to go over all the races. Let's just do the three Pegasus races, which start with the 10th, the uh, World Cup Philly and Mayor Turf. And um, most of these races are pretty competitive, kind of head scratchers. Uh, the uh, betters are going to have a good time trying to figure some of these out. I guess, and I'll start with Randy on this one because it's it's a buyer figure um, question, but Star Fortress, that 104 buyer in the Cardinal Stakes, first time over from Europe, first time for Cherie DeVoe, that uh, figure just blows the field apart, one by 10 lengths. I have no reason to believe it's it's not real. I have no reason to believe that horse won't run back a, a similar race. And if that's the case, probably Star Fortress is your winner, Randy. Yeah, there there is reason to be somewhat skeptical that Star Fortress will run that number back. Okay, the number's legit. I mean, you don't win by ten lengths in a graded stakes race on turf. It just doesn't happen. It was the Cardinal Stakes Churchill Downs, um, but the race was run over that what at the time was a very funky. Churchill Downs turf course. It was the only turf race of the day. All the rest of them were taken off the turf. The course was initially rated as good. Riders were complaining, you know, as they as they have been about the Churchill turf course, that it was loose and it was, you know, horses had trouble with it and things like that. So I think what you see with turf courses that uh, that are like that 
or kind of like you see with sloppy dirt surfaces, margins tend to be exaggerated. Uh, so, and when margins are exaggerated, speed figures tend to get higher. I'll be surprised if Star Fortress runs back to that 104. I'm not saying she can't win, uh, but if she is the favorite based on that 104 buyer speed figure, then I think from a value standpoint, she would be a bet against kind of favorite just for the reasons that I said. And it is a very, very good race, uh, as you pointed out. Um, there's a lot of horses in here that have a legitimate chance to win. Mission of Joy, I was really impressed with at Keeneland, but she draws an outside post position that's going to be disadvantageous. You know, so you could have four, five, six, six horses in there. They would have a legitimately strong chance to win. Oh, it's a superb betting race. And I'm with you. Star Fortress is going to be over bet for Cherie DeVoe. That was a visually impressive race indeed on the 23rd of November. But there's many ways to go. This is a race loaded with speed as well. So if you like one of the speed horses, a.k.a. Ruby Nell, she's not going to be alone on the front end by any way, shape or form. I'm actually rather looking at full count Felicia for Brittany Russell, who tends to win just about everywhere she goes. She won by three quarters of a length at Goldstream. She has a win over the track. She's proven at longer distances. She doesn't need the lead. She can be tactical. And you get that guy, Javier Castellano, who, you know, pops up in these big races and is still one of the best riders in the nation right now. So I think she's going to be a little bit of a price if you're looking for a bit of a price in what could well be the best betting race on the day. I'm going to take an exacta back and forth. Didia and Fluffy Socks. All right. I like each other. That's right. what I'm going with. I think the best race of the day is not the Pegasus World Cup. I think it's the Pegasus World Cup Turf Invitational because you've got integration in there who was, was so impressive in the Hill Prince. Granted, has only run against three-year-olds trying older horses for the first time. You have a tone who won the race last year. O'Sheen Murphy takes the, the mount, though doesn't appear to be in very good form right now. You have Webb Slinger, who runs a good race every single time out for our friend John Green from DJ Stables. But I think most of the attention is going to be go to Warm Heart for Aiden O'Brien and Ryan Moore. Uh, boy, has this horse been all over the globe. Hong Kong, Santa Anita, Great Britain, Ireland. But you, what you have to look at is the Philly and Mayor turf, second beaten in neck behind Inspiral, then came back and ran in a group one in Hong Kong. Um, this is sort of a strange time of year, Zoe, for Aiden O'Brien to bring a grass horse over because usually their, their seasons end in late November and they don't gear them up until the seasons uh, get going again in April or May. But uh, again, you know, Randy, uh, uh, as well, uh, you, you can comment that 105 buyer figure in the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mayor Turf points us out to be for her to be the fastest horse. Zoe, what about Warm Heart? Oh, she's good. She ran a bang up race against the boys. Now, a lot of people will be thinking, is she at the end of her rope? She's done a lot of traveling. We know that Aiden knows how to travel these horses and just does it so well. Ordinarily, she'd be put away for the season, but this will be her last start. And this is why the Pegasus races are so important. It enables horses to get one more start in before they go to the breeding shed. She has a date with Justify which is going to be a fabulous cover for this daughter of Galileo. She's the best filly in this race against the boys. She gets a break in weight, which is five pounds. I think 
A lot of people in America don't take into account weight as much as they do in Europe. It is a major factor, especially going over a distance of ground. Ryan Moore thinks she'll have no problem with the tight track. She had no problem handling the tight track at Santa Anita. No problem handling the firm turf course at Santa Anita, which will be just as firm there at Gulfstream Park. And, you know, listening to Aidan O'Brien's comments about her, you know, he makes me laugh. If you ask him about any horse, he's got such a mind on him. He's like, oh, geez, why the lads, they, they wanted to go. And, and Pat's over there with her and she's training really well. And Ryan likes her and 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 Justin gets on her and Rachel gallops her and Freddie fed her a mint and Peter walks her in the morning. And he just goes on and on. He knows all his help. He, he's just got the most maniacal mind you've ever heard of <laughs> in a trainer to remember all of these people surrounding his fantastic team and every little nuance that they do with the horse. Warm Heart is the one to beat. She's in the warmth of Florida and yeah, she's the one to beat. I hope I didn't wax too lyrical on her. Your mm. turn, Randy. Obviously, she's a very good filly. Obviously, the, the boys are very happy with her. Uh, I think her post position is, yeah, whatever. Uh, That's English. So you sound English, not Irish. <laughs> True. All right. Let's let's talk about the fig first of all. Uh, wh when I kind of uh, mentioned Star Fortress's one hundred and four buyer and how you know there were serious reasons to believe that she probably wouldn't duplicate that, it's not really the case with Warm Heart, except for the trip that she got in the Breeders' Cup Philly Mare Turf running second to Inspiral. She had post position number two, and Ryan Moore worked out a rail trip around all three turns uh, for Warm Heart at Santa Anita in the Philly Mare Turf. With this post position, it's unlikely that Warm Heart is going to get that kind of trip. Highly unlikely. So you can look at that 105 fig, and you can maybe expect, I would say, a 100, let's say. But even that looks like on paper it would be good enough to win. On paper, the, th the three horses I think have a chance to win on numbers would be Warm Heart, in, uh, uh, Integration, almost said in spiral. Integration, trained by uh, Shug McGehee, who has had three outstanding career races, three for three lifetime, and visually very impressive. And then Cheryl Spite, the old pro, who, uh, who runs well no matter how high they seem to pitch him and where they seem to take him. Maybe a mile and an eighth is just a touch beyond his optimal distance, but he's a fighter, and I wouldn't be surprised at all to be Cheryl Spite to see him right there in the mix coming to the wire. But I do think Warm Heart is uh, definitely the horse to beat. Pegasus World Cup Invitational ends the day, the 13th race on the card. I, I have no idea what to do here. I, I honestly, I'll look at this race 20 times and, and I'll come up with uh, nine different scenarios about who can win. Um, National Treasure will be the favorite and I think a deserving one, but I've never liked this horse ever since he stole the race in the Preakness uh, with that soft fractions, 48 and four, et cetera. And, and then he didn't do anything until the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile where he ran his eyeballs out to almost beat Cody's wish. So with him, I don't know which National Treasure is going to show up. Uh, with apologies to our friend Michael Ivorone, O'Connor got a perfect trip in the Harlan's Holiday, uh, saving every bit of ground under Tyler Gaffleone. Um, hoist the gold, won the cigar mile last time out, but is stretching out to a mile and an eighth, and looks like that's going to be a problem for that horse. Maybe first mission, second last time out behind Trademark, beating a nose in the Clark, but it is Brad Cox and Luis Saez. Looks like an improving horse. I think if you put a gun to my head now, 
that's who I would pick. But um, it's it's a from a handicapping standpoint, I think it's a very difficult race. Zoe, what do you think? I mean, I like National Treasure in here just because I think he's possibly the best horse in the race. Am I have I been in love with National Treasure? I don't think anyone has been in love with him. We'll watch his work on the XBTV work of the week in just a moment. But I can tell you this much. He's never been training any better than he is now. Um, the mile and eighth is questionable. If it wasn't at Gulfstream Park, I'd say it might be problematic. But we know that speed does carry and it carries a distance of ground at Gulfstream Park. We know that Bob has been... Um, very good in this race. He's won it twice before. And I think National Treasure is one to beat. It's California speed, the speed of the speed. You've got Pratt riding and they'll have to come and catch him. The overriding story of this race before, and I think it's going to be the same after, is that you can expect a very contentious early pace. Right. And here's why. You've got Hoist the Gold ridden by John Velasquez. Velasquez has been on Hoist the Gold three times. Before he got on in for the very first time, Johnny watched video of Hoist the Gold and came to the conclusion that the horse was not being ridden aggressively enough at the start of his races, that the horse liked to be put right into the race, if not on the lead setting the pace, then right there. And that's the way Velasquez has been riding him, and it has made a big difference in the way the horse has been running. He, ran, he rode him that way in the Cigar Mile. He got a huge buyer speed figure to win the Cigar Mile, very fast fractions. It was a speed-biased racetrack that day, okay? It was a muddy track. Speed and rail were dominating that day, so you can discount that a little bit. But the point is, he's going to be ridden that way in the Pegasus World Cup. Velasquez also knows National Treasure because he rode him in the Preakness to a wire-to-wire -wire win. And I think Johnny knows that National Treasure runs best with the early lead. And that's another reason why I think Johnny's going to be extremely aggressive to try to get the lead from National Tre Treasure early. But can he? Is he fast enough? I, we didn't think National Treasure was fast enough to set the pace by himself in the dirt mile. Zozos was in there. Some other speed horses were in there. And yet Flavian Pratt just sent the heck out of him leaving the gate. And National Treasure beat them all to the lead, set a fast pace, and nearly won it. Both horses are going to be on the engine leaving the gate. Very fast pace. First mission probably gets the best trip from a stalking perspective. Uh, sitting just a little bit off the pace, he might get first run on those two leaders if they start to back up. And here's a name I mentioned 25 times before on this podcast. He'll probably be too little too late, as always. But Senor Buscador, the stretch <laughs> runner, who was second against the bias in the Cigar Mile to hoist the gold, is going to be running again from off the pace. He's going to have plenty of speed to help set up his closing kick. No, Gulfstream Park is not the kind of track that you would expect Senor Buscador to succeed over. But maybe, maybe, finally, the pace is going to be fast enough uh, and the situation is going to be just right for Senor Buscador to win one of these big races. We'll see. Randy, who do you think you've mentioned more on the podcast, Senor Buscador or two fills? <laughs> it's a dead heat, I think. That's another one, too. Yes. Well, good for Randy. He's, he's loyal to his favorite horses. Yes. Uh, we can say that much. So, guys, um, this is obviously not the best Pegasus um, that we've ever seen. And, you know, it's an ongoing problem with all these horses being retired early. I mean, just about everybody that mattered, except White Aberio from last year, was retired. 
And then also uh, with the Saudi Cup right around the corner, you know, you're, for, even for three million dollars, there's some impediments to getting the best horses into this race. I, the Stronach Group does a great job every year getting a full field, makes it a great betting race. None of this is their fault because, you know, like I said, everybody's been retired. But I'm just wondering if there aren't some things they can tinker with to perhaps um, be, it, be it a little bit stronger draw. And I'm wondering if this race shouldn't be moved up in the calendar two or three weeks. And if that was the case, there would be plenty of time after the Breeders' Cup and more time in between the Pegasus World Cup and the Saudi Cup. And, you know, they've lost two horses to the Saudi Cup that may otherwise have been here. Saudi Crown, who won at the fairgrounds over the weekend, and White Iberio, who, you know, the minute he won the Breeders' Cup Classic, they said no to this race and that they're going out to Saudi Arabia. I don't know if that would help or not, but I do think that's something they should at least look at. Because, uh, again, you know, everybody wants seven, eight weeks in between races and um, you got to give the trainers what they want. Mm, I'm not sure it would help, to be honest, if you moved it back a couple of weeks. I mean, if you consider that the year-end goal for most trainers with older horses is the Breeders' Cup Classic, and that's the final what they've been pointing for, and then they run well in that, and they're going to plan for a 20, a, a next-year campaign, they give their horse a little break after the Classic. And the little break that they can give the horse and then they have time to gear up for whatever races they're going to point for. So I think it's not going to work because these horses have the break. And if you move it up two weeks, they're not going to be ready. That's that's my point. I don't know what Randy thinks about that, but I don't think moving it up two weeks is going to help your case. It's hard. Yeah, it's kind of hard to say, I think. Um, first of all, this is kind of an unusual situation because both Saudi Crown and White Barrio now have Saudi Arabian ownership. And they specifically wanted to make sure that their horse was targeting the Saudi Cup. And Rick Dutrow, I mean, I know Bill loves this. Rick Dutrow likes the gap between the Breeders' Cup Classic all the way into February for the Saudi Cup. He thinks that is what is going to give White Barrio the best chance to win. So I don't know in this particular scenario if moving the race up to early January would have made a difference or not. Purse-wise, uh, first racing obviously cannot compete against the National Treasury of Saudi Arabia or the National Treasury of Dubai coming up a little bit later. So that's a moot point to even you know think that you can compete head-to-head -head with those races. And, and one more point. Um, this will really be more of a question for Belinda Stronach. Okay. Uh, the Pegasus World Cup and everything that surrounds it is more to Belinda and to first racing than just the horse races. OK, if you've been there for the Pegasus, they've done an amazing job in making it a social and cultural event. I think they may even prize that a little more highly than the type of fields that they're getting, let's say, for the Pegasus World Cup, missing out on a horse or two. And I, I don't know the thinking behind having this major social event in Miami in late January, where it is right now, as opposed to early January, just after Christmas and just after New Year's. They may think that it's better off being in late January to attract all the beautiful people in the social calendar and all that that the Pegasus World Cup has come to represent. Oh, and one more thing. Let me go down a rabbit hole one more time. 
and invoke the name of my favorite horse one more time. Any ideas where they come up with the name Senor Buscador? Ooh, no. No, Randy, we don't. <laughs> Senor Buscador is Spanish for Mr. Prospector. Get out of here. How no about way. that? Mr. Prospector shows up in the pedigree of both the Sire Mineshaft and the Dam Roses Desert. And when the owner, Joey Peacock, was naming the horse and he sent out emails to his family with the pedigrees and said, here, somebody come up with a good name. It was his future daughter-in-law that said, wait a second, I see Mr. Prospector. What's the Spanish word for Mr. Prospector? Senor Buscador. There you go. That's so cool. Zoe, I, I give up. We just can't keep up with compete with this guy. It's just it's forget it. You know, who do you like in the fourth race? I like the two. Randy? <laughs> Tell us <laughs> a story about, a fascinating story about something or other. Never mind um, a rabbit hole. I'm bringing a bulldozer next week. <laughs> but Randy, I tell you, your your wealth of, of knowledge is uh and I'm saying this uh, without without tongue in cheek. It, it it's really quite amazing when you can come up with Senior Buscador's name um, being from Mr. Prospector. But good for you. It's it's fun. Do want to remind you that the TDN Writers Room is brought to you by XBTV. I already mentioned it. The XBTV workout of the week is National Treasure, who turned in a zipping four furlong work in 46 and four for Bob Baffer on Saturday. As we watch him come down the lane, you can see Eric with his feet on the dashboard. Now he's working him solo. He works him solo an awful lot because he is a keen horse. And I have never seen him look as good as he looks here. He's tracking another horse in front of him, trying to catch him, and he pulls him up on the gallop out. That is a terrific work for National Treasure, who is the morning line favorite in Saturday's grade one $3 million Pegasus World Cup at Gulfstream Park. All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. The TDN Riders Room also brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. West Point empties the barn this weekend. Pegasus Cup especially. We mentioned integration as a leading contender in the Pegasus World Cup turf. West Point Thoroughbreds. It's his first grade one appearance. Plus, they have Giant Game and Signator. That's in the Fred Hooper on the undercard. That's a grade three race. And Brigadier General will run at Oaklawn Park. They resume racing this weekend in the fifth season stakes. Integration, as we mentioned before, is a perfect three for three. And he is a key contender in the Pegasus World Cup turf. If you are interested in joining a West Point partnership and vaulting into the world of instant camaraderie, log on to westpointtb.com. Well, that's a wrap on this week's show. I want to thank my partners, Randy Moss and Zoe Cadman. I want to thank Michael Ivarone, who will definitely be the best dressed person at Gulfstream Park on Saturday afternoon. That's worth the price of admission alone, just to see what outfit he shows up in. Uh, also, our co-producers, Katie Petruniak, Anthony LaRocca, and our editors, Aaliyah LaRocca and Nathan Wilkinson. Okay, Zoe, uh, where's, where's, um, where's your dog, Randy? Oh, I don't know where Doodle is. 
There's Lucy. Go. Hi, Lucy. Hey, Lucy. Hey, Lucy. I'm all alone. Lucy. Oh, she moved. She moved. Yes. <laughs> Barely. That's the, most, that, that's the most movement I've seen from her since we've been starting to do the podcast. Chasing <laughs> squirrels outside. Not she that hates, he can eat his kingdom, but this, but, uh, chasing something. Oh, hold on. Jimmy. Hold on. Hi, Lucy. Uh, oh, she's adorable. Her moment in the oh. spotlight. <laughs> One more. Ah, there's oh, Jimmy. I should, I should have kept Lucy over here. She could have barked at Doodle. And I have no idea where my dog is, just avoiding me somewhere in the house. So anyways. Your dog is not a lap dog, right? Well, she can't be, yeah. But okay. anyways. All right, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll catch up with you next week. We'll recap the Pegasus and all the fun races from Gulfstream Park. Bill Finley for the entire crew. See you next week. See you in Florida. Florida.